A school for tomorrow acknowledges the First Nations and custodians of country throughout Australia and internationally and their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and to stolen generation survivors. We recognise the intergenerational trauma that remains and our pledge to build a world that can heal through our unwavering commitment to truth telling, through the power of story and education. A School for Tomorrow stands in solidarity with our Indigenous brothers and sisters and works for justice and true reconciliation. Our acknowledgement was drafted in consultation with Leanne Wilson, a Bidjara and Karakara First Nation descendant who acknowledges her South Sea Islander heritage. G'day, Phil. I've got the most remarkable opportunity over the next three episodes of our special series of Game Changers. I get to have a conversation with Benson Sowler, who's such an interesting person. He represents so much, I think, about what it means to thrive in our world and he's ideal for us to talk to. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much of his story now because I'd rather he tells it himself. So I'm really excited to do this, so let's go. Hey, Benson, how are you doing? Hey, really good, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited for the next three episodes and being able to just chat through a whole bunch of things with you. Man, I, was, I'm, I, I just can't wait to do it. Before, before we begin, can you tell me about your people and your country? Because you've got quite an interesting background, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So on my mum's side, I'm connected to the Wemba Wemba, Wiragai, Jadawajali and Gunditjmara Aboriginal nations of Western Victoria. So right along the border of South Australia and, and Victoria. Uh, and then also to the New Island province, um, which is in Papua New Guinea. And that's on my father's side. Um, so my, my clan up there is um, the Mangamuna, um, which is a, a line that comes through my mum um, that connects me up to that land and obviously through my father. So dare I ask the question... What do you identify with? Who do you identify with? Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, this, for me, I think, um, you know, identity is, is so complex. So I always think back to, you know, I, I identify as being, you know, Aboriginal and Papua New Guinean. And within that is obviously Australian, it's First Nations, it's Wemba Wemba, it's Jadawajali, which is connected up to my grandparents. So, you know, when I, when I think about, you know, who do I identify with? You know, I, I connect with both both sides of my family. There it is. So well, part of the reason why I've been really keen to talk with you and include you in part of the process that we're doing uh, on Game Changes is that you're not an easy study as a person. You There are so many different sides to you and you manage a balance and depth and richness of character in so much of what you do and and in this first episode it's that it's that notion of character that i really want to hone in on because i think you've got lots and lots and lots to share on that so if i if i can can i just what makes a life worth living i reckon that i always think back it's a wonderful question and the thing that always comes to my mind is a wonderful quote by pericles and uh, it's, it's a random thing that's always been in the back of my mind. Um, hey, ancient history teacher here. I'm, I'm just going to oh, love it. You'll love this. Of... You'll love this. So, so you know, he, he's kind of quoted as saying, what we leave behind is not what's carved into stone monuments, but what's woven in the hearts of others. And this is the, I mean, I think what makes a life worth living, it's those, you know, seconds, it's, you know, it's the lifetimes as well of, of those connections that, and the marks that you can leave on, on people. Even today, you know, in, in 2020 with COVID, when you're walking around with face masks, you know, you, people communicate so much through their eyes, um, you know, not, not being able to see each other's faces fully. But I think that that moment of that, the connection that you make in, with the, you know, the eyesight, 
you know, you're leaving a mark on someone and what that mark is, we're in this together. And, uh, and, and I think there's something really beautiful in those, those fleeting moments of, of passer-buying where you can actually, you know, it's a smile, it's a glance, it's the nod that you can leave a mark on someone. I think a life worth living is a life that's full of connections and the, the subtle impacts that you can have on people around you that you don't even see how they play out in other people's lives. Uh, it's really interesting you choose that quote from Pericles because, of course, that's from the funeral oration. It, uh, it is of itself the great set-piece speech at the start of Thucydides' account of the Peloponnesian War. So I'm going to go all ancient history nerd on you for just I've, a week. I've got moment. another yeah. great quote around um, with Thucydides. So there's two quotes that I constantly yeah. go back to. And one yeah. from Thucydides is, um, the bravest are surely those with the clearest of vision of what lies ahead, glory and danger alike, yet notwithstanding goes out to face it. Absolutely. And, uh, and you mentioned before around character and, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and, and I, and, you know, as we kind of continue this conversation, I'll be talking more around that idea of being able to step into the unknown and, you Absolutely. know, and, and living and dying by, by that decision, but ultimately knowing, or, you know, this understanding that there's no other way forward, but to move forward and to step into the unknown. Yeah. It's, and, and, and at a, at a time like the one we live in at the moment, it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, there's so much uncertainty in our world today and it's all brought on by illness and, and there's Pericles giving a speech which is set right at the height of the plague in Athens and they're trying to work out life and death and all of those sorts of things. And there you are connecting the notion of presence with people. You're really good at telling your story and you have a stunning profile. What's the difference between story and profile and presence? Uh, I think... The story allows you to tell the moments in between. So when, when I say that, I mean, on a, on a profile, you kind of tell the story of the, the highlights. And what a lot of people see is the, is the highlights, you know, getting the, the awards or the acknowledgement, but they don't necessarily see the hard work or those, those moments of, of doubt that, that lead to, you know, grit and determination to kind of pull yourselves out of, pull yourself out of that dark place of, of doubt. And I think the story allows you to do that. The thing that I also love about stories and, you know, being from a, you know, cultures, um, you know, oral histories and, and oral traditions, the notion of, of story and the fact that, you know, it doesn't always move in a linear progression. It allows us to kind of reflect, to, to shift, to pivot, to be able to, you know, throw ourselves into the future as well as kind of ground ourselves in the past. Uh, I think there's something really beautiful in actually being able to tell a story because it allows me to be able to, you know, share my mum's story, you know, when she was growing up and how it relates to the hope that I have for my daughter um, when, you know, she's nine months old yesterday, you know, and the, and the hope that I have for her and the childhood that my grandmother allowed my mum to have in, in, in very different times in Australia is the type of childhood that I hope that my daughter is is able to 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 live, which is a, a curious and adventurous childhood. I love that idea of the story being able to traverse time and space. You know, I think there's something really powerful in telling the you know the the profile piece in regards to you know these are the highlights because people often kind of go, well, what have what have they done? Um, so that, that kind of captures that, but it's actually what enabled them to do and achieve the highlights that's the bit that i'm most interested in is actually the the grit the moments that form the grit in someone's life it's interesting around this because obviously we're frank we're going to frame this, these conversations 
in somehow in the context of education. We'll try and bring it back at some point. Although I, I just want to chat to you really. And part of the challenge that we've got right now is that we know that the world that your daughter will enter into and the, the world that my children, who are perhaps a little bit older than your daughter, they're about maybe 20 years older on, on, on average, although the world that they're entering into is a world in which roles and jobs and future is not laid out. It's a world in which for the first time, everybody has to be able to tell their story. Everybody has to have a profile. Everybody has to have a presence because it's a world in which things don't come easily. And it's a world in which kids are expected to become young adults with competencies at a level that certainly my generation were never expected to have and possibly your generation weren't expected to have as well too. So as we think about helping students to prepare for this world, what do you think are the elements of an education that are going to help students to prepare for a journey which will result in a life worth living? I think there's, um, there's really three elements for, for me that, that kind of you know, inform or, or help to develop you know, the character in, in a young person to be able to step into the, the next, you know, step into the world. Um, and I think the, the first one is something that I think is, is, is sorely missing within our education system is around the kind of the civic service. You know, what does it mean to be a good citizen? Um, or put it in another way, what does it mean to be a neighbour? And I think there's there's elements within that around you know roles and you know, in the current conversations that we're seeing, particularly in the US, around personal freedoms. I think when you're having a conversation within this idea of the the civic service or or um or as a citizen, freedoms is always coupled with responsibilities as well. And I think that's something that's kind of missing within the education system of, you know, it's important to, you know, exercise your freedoms, but, but also understand the responsibility to, to look out for others and the responsibility of taking ownership of your own actions, but also in the context of how it impacts others as well. And I think there's a really important piece there that, that, that needs to be focused on in regards to, you know, developing the next generation of, of citizens. Uh, the other element is also generosity. Um, and, and I'd expand that to say, you know, generosity of spirit. I, I just love that turn of phrase because it's not just about the, the surface giving. It's actually the, it's, it's about the lifestyle. It's the whole heartedness of, of, of living a life of, um, of being generous in, and, and giving in all forms of, of life and, and, uh, and, and service. And then the third piece is almost an extension of the kind of the civic service or that kind of citizenship is around critical thinking. And, you know, even particularly in the last few years when we're talking about the global kind of phenomena around fake news, um, but then also the ease of sharing misinformation, um, you know, applying critical thinking skills, that, that questioning, which is almost the, the extension of starting at curiosity and moving into kind of the questioning and then the analysis and the research, you know, we want a society of, of thinkers. Um, we want a society of, of, um, of critical thinkers that can think deeply about complex challenges and also questioning you know, what's being presented in, in front of them. So I think you know, the, those three elements, so the, that the good citizen, if I was to reframe that, is the good citizen, the generosity of spirit, and then the critical thinking. And I think any young person that is able to kind of grow up or, or be immersed in these three elements 
they're the type of leaders that, that I want running our society, they're the type of people running our business. These are the type of young people that will inherit a world where they are absolutely having a positive impact in, in, in all aspects of their life. I'd like to dig into a little bit of that a bit further, and I will in a moment. Um, can you give us an example from your own education where you were prompted to develop yourself in one of those areas? So the, the generosity, and, and the reason why I said generosity of spirit being kind of all aspects of your life, you know, I have very vivid memories. So my father was a minister. Well, he's a minister. It's not one of those professions that you kind of, you know, finish at the end of the day and kind of hang up on. It's, um, you know, being a minister is you know, an important part of you know, every aspect of his life. But the, the memory that comes to mind is actually when my mum was setting the table, we would always have nearby, if not on the table, was always that, an extra setting. And, uh, and the question mark was always, you know, particularly if you, it was your job, I'm the youngest, so it was my job to kind of set the table. Why, well, that, why that, that was my job too, but just by the way, I was the youngest <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah, it's <laughs> good, good to know. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a good lesson actually in life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and the question mark was always, well, what, you know, there's five of us, why am I, you know, getting out six plates? And the answer was, and I remember clear as day, is because you never know who's going to show up. That for me was always something that stood out for me because you know, as much as dad's work was out in the community, you know, it, there was no kind of line or delineation between community and home. And so the work that he was doing outside was something that was an extension of our own home. And that generosity of spirit was always about being inviting and being inclusive. And, you know, the power of... Yeah, and I often, this is something that I often quite think about is, um, quite often think about is the power of sitting at a long table and breaking bread and, uh, and being able to set that extra setting because you just never know who's going to show up is a really powerful lesson for, for anyone. Um, and yeah, and, and, and that's a, a very clear memory that I have growing up. There you go. There you go. So if I can take those three elements that you talked about, I actually want to align it with a bit of research that we've been doing over the past decade. So we've, it, we've, we've been running this, this global research project with schools all over the world, looking at what character is and what role it has in education. And we, we've, we've formed a view that character is the reason why you do school. You know, what the, the purpose of school is not to bounce people through sort of endless hamster wheels. The purpose of school is to produce people. And those people, we want them to be able to exhibit at least six different types of outcome and again, this is communities all over the world tell us, and you'll recognize some words in here. So we want good people. We want future builders. We want continuous learners and unlearners. We want solution architects. We want responsible citizens, and we want team creators. The type of character that we want them to show, there, there are three levels of it, and there are three things that are hitting it, and I think your three things hit at them just beautifully. The first is what we call civic character, and that ties in with your civic service thing. And that's all about belonging. And that says that the starting point for anything is you have to feel as though you belong, which is why I was interested in starting this conversation with your people in your country and, and the stories about your family and, and that sort of thing, I think are really, really important because if we don't know where we come from and, and the history of the stolen generations in this country, the history of my mother's people in Eastern Europe who were Jewish and we don't know where we came from because all our stories went up in smoke in the 1940s, literally. So, you know, it's trying to find your place is important. So we talk about civic character, which is about belonging. And then we talk about performance character, 
which is all about achieving your potential. And for me, that critical thinking really fits nicely into that because you cannot achieve your potential unless you are able to work out where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, what the environment's about and how you can do better. So if you belong, you're more likely to achieve your potential. If you belong and achieve your potential, you're more likely to demonstrate the generosity of spirit that comes with doing good in the world and that is moral character. So there it is and we didn't even set this up. We're just having a conversation and there's, there's this sort of lived experience aligning nicely with the research. Can I take this a step further please? Because in talking about that character, there is an interplay that goes on. There is a sense of you inside and then there is a sense of the expectation on you. And of course, it's an Old Testament story that we use to illustrate this, which is from Genesis 32. And it's the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting story because it's like, if you dig into it, you know, there's Jacob and he's got two wives as they do. And he's decided to move house. And I don't know, you've moved house in your life. It's an awful experience most of the time. You're about to move house soon and become Australia's Consul General in Houston and the first Indigenous person to do that. But we're going to talk about that in another episode. So we're going to hold fire on that for the moment. It's just about to move house. And he's chosen to do it on foot. So he's wrapped up all his possessions and he's walking across the desert, across mountains. So he's got that and two wives, which just would be challenging i think it'd be doubly challenging anyway the story goes he gets to the end of the day and he sends them all on ahead he's had enough he just wants some peace and quiet at the end of the day and so he walks down into the little valley and then up across the stream and he's going up the hill and there's a bloke standing in his way he's obviously not had a good day so the bloke won't get out of his way so the biff is on you know it's it's a very it's a very real and human moment and they wrestle all day and all night and of course the story is that you know his hip gets touched just as the light is coming up and we're not told whether that's god or whether it's an angel or a man or a messenger there's many ways to read into it we love that notion of wrestling we love that notion of wrestling in the everyday and the idea that in wrestling between what is inside you and what is expected of you comes the realization of your character no one's character is perfect and character changes and sometimes you're more you and sometimes you you've had a lot of expectation in your life and yet you've also had that big drive inside you to do something with your life can you tell us a little bit about the young benson and managing those two things of what's inside you and what's expected of you yeah, well, I might actually start when I was, it was actually on my 22nd birthday. So it's going back about a decade and had a good day at work and was, was coming home. And I remember I put the key into the, the front door well, down in South Melbourne at this time. And I turned the, turned the lock, walked in into our hallway. And I remember seeing the walls in our hallway just melting like like they were chocolate like it was it was chocolate that had been left out in the sun like it was just melting down around me and i i couldn't breathe properly and i was um i didn't know it at the time but i was clearly having a panic attack and um and i i, I went into 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 my room and um my girlfriend at the time my my wife now but i i said 
look, I, I can't be near you right now. Like I'm, I don't know what's going on. And so I went into this room and all I could think about doing was actually just calling my dad. Um, he's the kind of guy, you know, I speak to him for advice and you know, insight and wisdom. Uh, he's one of those old souls. He's uh, you can kind of see it in his eyes that he's, you know, this is definitely not his first time around the sun. And I was breaking down. I was crying. And I said, look, I don't know who I'm meant to be. All my life, I've been tapped on the shoulder and told you're going to go places. You know, you're you're a leader. Um, you know, you, you you're going to achieve good things or great things. And 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 honestly, being being told that from a very young age, so from school representative councils, from back in when I was in grade three, all the way through, um, you know, taking leadership roles in in programs and uh, things at school and sports as well, being you know vice school captain. And then moving away, you know, constantly being told, you know, you're on, you're on a path to, to big things. And finally on my 22nd birthday and I'm calling my father in tears and said, I don't know who I'm meant to be. I don't know where I'm going. And I feel like I'm on this, this uh, pedestal that's just crumbling. And um, there was that fear of being a fraud, um, you know, you know, not being, uh, I was, by that time at 22, I'd been in the bank since I was uh, 15. So seven years within, within ANZ Bank, starting as a 15-year-old bank teller and working up as a business banker and finishing as a university dropout, but as a business analyst and, um, and constantly being the, the youngest and only Indigenous person in the room, in a lot of, um, you know, rooms within the bank. And, um, and suddenly I find myself breaking down going, like I'm going to get found out I'm a fraud. And, and this view of what people have been telling me all my life, I don't know who that's meant to be. I don't know who am I, who am I meant to be? You know, I, I don't, even the smallest things of, I don't know how I'm meant to sound as a leader. You know, um, I don't know how I'm meant to dress as a leader. You know, all these little things that kind of pop up in your mind and in, in moments when you're feeling irrational, um, these really small things that were suddenly massive in my mind. And, my dad, yeah, he's a very caring guy, but he was very cut through um, uh, that, that day. And he just said to me, son, you're being silly. And it kind of shook me because <laughs> I was like, what? Um, you know, why would you tell me that? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm being really honest and pouring this out. And, um, and he said, look, you don't always have to think about the person who you're going to be or, or the person that you, you know, you're meant to be, you know, casting your mind forward, you know, five, 10 years. He said to me, you're surrounded by such amazing people, whether it be in your work, whether it be in your own family, whether it be in the community, you know, there's such amazing people around you that you can actually start borrowing qualities from them to help build the person that you, that you want to be. And so over the space of an hour or two hours, I'd lost track of time at this point. And um, we, we actually sat down, we talked through people that I admire and what I admire about them. And then we we're taking those kind of elements and I was thinking about, well, how do I then apply them in my life? And so, you know, I'm, I'm sitting on the floor, my back against the bed um, on, on our phone, on, on, on the phone, um, speaking to dad as we were literally, uh, he's got me walking up a path past people in my life and staring them in the face and saying what I enjoy and what I like about them and what I value about them. And, uh, and when we eventually finished that, you know, what, what started in a very dark, scary place for me, um, it actually finished in this really wonderful, uplifting space because I suddenly had put names to the qualities that I want 
as a, as a person. And for the first time I had been in control of that rather than having it put on me. And, uh, and then from that point on was, all right, these are the, these are the qualities I want. You know, faith is an absolute, you know, foundational piece there, but, but humility, courage, uh, humor as well. You know, these are the qualities that I want to you know, develop in myself. And by naming them, it allowed me then to keep working on them. And so it's, it's an ongoing process, you know, it's a decade later and faith is still a, a, an absolute um, foundational value in my life. But it's, it's a journey, as you know, courage mm-hmm. is, is constantly being tested, but it's, uh, it's something that you kind of continually work at. So when I think about, you know, where do the, where does my story kind of start in regards to character building, you know, and, and actually being in charge of it, that, that actually started on my 22nd birthday before then, I've been told what type of character I need to be or what kind of person I need to be. And it was only in that moment where I took ownership and, and control of, well, actually, who do I want to be? And then start building that. And that was a, a really defining moment in my life. Oh, it's, it's, it's so interesting. Um, you know, I was, I was watching a fantastic talk on YouTube recently and I just put a, a link out through our, our School for Tomorrow network for folk to have a look at it. It's a long listen, but it's a good one between um, Lord Sachs, the rabbi in the UK and David Brooks, who's, you know, the New York Times conservative columnist and, and both of them deeply interested in character. And, and they would argue that true character or, or the deepest character or the richest character doesn't come from your moments of happiness. It comes from moments of struggle. And, and, and when we go all over the world and we talk to school communities about that, that's what people will tell us. Now, I think a life which is only gritty is not a life worth living because, gee, you know, don't have to be gritty all the time, you know. Like it's, it's uh, uh, you know, for our listeners, just before we started recording this, you know, Benson's just rocked in and said, hey, I was talking with some mates today and thinking... Uh, why don't we form an indigenous, all indigenous esports team? You know, it's like, you know, you got to have some fun, don't you? <laughs> Do you think it's possible to live a happy life? I think there's moments of happiness. Um, and it's a good, no one's actually really asked me this question in, in a space that I feel like I can really answer it because there's a part of me that I don't enjoy the moment. I, I enjoy it in hindsight. And the work that I know that I want to do in, in, you know, in, in my lifetime and the work that I kind of need to do in, in the impact that I want to have, it's not enjoyable work. You know, this is, it's going to be hard work. If I view myself and see myself as a, you know, a reformer in, in some instances in regards to systems and structures and, and society, then this is not fun work. It's, it's bloody hard work and it's, it's tough work. And, you know, using you know, using a, a biblical reference, you may never see the promised land as well. And uh, you know, we could find ourselves you know, walking for you know, forty years, and then finally get to the edge and kind of go, well, actually, I'm, I was never destined to be there anyway. Um, it's for the next generation, and so that's that's part of me that it never sat comfortably with me. And and I think this is the maturity that comes with change and leadership, and just knowing it's incremental. And the enthusiasm of a young person of wanting to see change today in my, in my own lifetime, in my own way, in my, by my own hand, the, uh, the realisation is change is difficult. Change takes time and it's slow that I may just be a, a link to get to that next plateau. And, uh, and I think that was the, that's the biggest 
learning. Um, and so in that question of is you know, about the happiness, do I live a, you know, a happy and happy life? Um, it has moments of, of absolute joy. It has moments of absolute, absolute happiness, but is it sustained in regards to the bigger picture of my life? And the answer is no. Yeah. Gee, I wonder whether we're really doing a disservice to young people at the moment, particularly with the, the social media world that we've created for them, where we present people with either an unsustainably upbeat, positive, curated, manipulated, airbrushed avatar of themselves or just the bleakest vision of destruction ahead. You know, it's, it's, it's either the heaven or hell, and I'm not sure life on earth is supposed to be either of those things. It's supposed to be a journey towards perhaps one or the other, you know. There's actually a really wonderful article that was in... Um... Uh, in the Rolling Stone recently, and uh, and it was in relation to the state of the U.S. and 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 what the article is referring to is you know the rise of nationalism, you know, the influence of, of of Trump and the impact of Trump, as well as COVID. And there was a wonderful line in there in regards to our ability as as a society to actually outlast and, and to 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 overcome a global pandemic. And the, the reference there was in regards to the lack of stoicism and fortitude when everything is at, you know, at, at, at on demand from, from film to, to food to any kind of entertainment because of the immediacy of our lives, can we outlast very difficult situations? And I think that's a really important question of if, if society and, you know, the advancement of technology is creating an environment where suddenly stoicism and fortitude is now an absent uh, commodity in our lifestyle where do we get that from where do we get that understanding that you know life isn't always easy and life isn't you know always on demand it's uh yeah i think that's a, a very difficult conundrum for particularly educators to be able to teach to look we began this conversation with ancient history with pericles and now we're talking about stoics versus hedonism there's a lovely circularity around that benson thanks so much for this first conversation i really want to dig into some of the issues you raised towards the end there about reform and complexity and the world at large and how we deal with that in our second conversation so i'm really hoping you'll come back and, and join me for that absolutely no thank you thanks so much the game changers podcast is produced by oliver cummins for orbital productions it's powered by a schoolfortomorrow.com and circle.education it's available on apple podcasts on soundcloud on spotify and on google if you like what you hear Tell your friends, subscribe, like, you know what to do. Let's go.